bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host Corinne Nidja and this week I'm speaking to Dr. AJ Shah, who is an American cardiologist. Dr. Shah, I have to say, I really loved this conversation because he just had so many little, and every conversation I have on this show, I know I love every single guest, all right? I'm very biased to every single guest because they touch my heart and I just love them. Um, But Dr. Shah had such a great way of framing things and phrasing things. And I took away so many pieces of little pieces of wisdom from him. And here he was talking about in his career, how basically he spent a long, long, long time, you know, working with people with heart disease and cardiovascular disease. And he called it mopping the floor where you're mopping up all this water, but you're never turning off the tap. And I think that is such a great metaphor for so many chronic diseases where we're so busy mopping the floor with surgeries, medications, procedures without thinking about the root cause. Where is the tap that needs to be turned off and how do we turn it off? You know, and as as a trained lifestyle practitioner, Dr. Shah talks about the six pillars in this episode of health, which is diet, exercise, sleep, stress, substance abuse, and relationships. And all six pillars are heavily involved in our overall health outcomes. And so often you'll hear, you know, people say, oh, you know, perhaps a plant-based diet, they didn't feel that great. But then you have to look at all the other areas in those six pillars to say, okay, well, you know, obviously I would say your gut microbiome, probably after you've been, if you've been on the standard Australian, British, American diets for most of your life and you make the switch to a plant-based diet, probably you're going to have much more gas than you're used to. You're going to get more bloated. You're going to get feel more uncomfortable in your digestion than perhaps you were before making the switch for a few months. And that's because your gut microbiome needs to adjust to all the increase in fiber content and the vegetables, fruits, nuts, legumes, all of those things moving through your microbiome and changing the balance of bad bacteria to good bacteria over the course of a a longer period. But I mean, there's still so many more factors that can play a role in our overall health, which is, you know, exercise. Are you moving? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you going to bed early enough? Are you, how are you managing your stress? Are you meditating? Are you changing your life to make, doing less, I think, being more and doing less to manage your stress. You know, all of us are so busy with our busyness that it's so easy for us to become a society that is just glorifying how stressed and busy we are. So those kind of things. And then if you're in a relation if you're in a relationship that is that hasn't been happy or healthy or reciprocal or energized or joyful for a really long time that is full of trust and love and sharing, of course, of course you're going to be wanting to eat those comfort foods to get your joy. If the other areas are out of balance in these six pillars, of course we're going to be reaching for donuts to get our quick fixes, our quick highs or a substance use or whatever it is for you. So I love talking to lifestyle medicine practitioners because they have that broader holistic approach to healthcare. And even though whole food plant-based diet is absolutely like if the pillar had a, it's such an enormous piece of the health puzzle, what we put into our mouths, it just isn't the only piece and the other pieces are important too. So I definitely loved talking to Dr. Shah and hearing about his life and his diet growing up and his journey 
And just talking about the future of the whole food plant-based lifestyle as a movement, and he gave so many great little bits of information that I found poetic and interesting and helpful in my own beliefs about this movement and how to best reach people to reduce the suffering to the animals and to human health and to the planet in the long term. So it was wonderful to speak to him and I really hope that you sit back and enjoy this episode. Oh, one last thing I wanted to say, which is at the end. At the end, we're talking about whole food plant-based diet being a long-term investment in your health, a financial investment in your health. And I think that that is such a meaningful way to approach this dietary change with people who money is a potential barrier to them making the switch. Obviously, if you've been listening for a long time, you'll be aware that this is kind of peasant food. You know, we're eating beans and rice and whole grains and legumes and it's quite cheap. But when you're first beginning, it can feel more expensive. It definitely can be more expensive if you're in a food desert in the United States or a place where you're further away from varieties of whole plant foods in your supermarkets, uh, etc. But there are options and I do think that when you think about that McDonald's might be the quick, cheap, easy thing for your family, but the quick, cheap, easy thing today is the $60,000 bypass surgery down the road that you can't afford. And I think that that's a really powerful point to discuss with the people around you who are saying that right now they can't afford it. It's a privileged way of eating because the long term, it's a, it is a long term in financial investment in ha- you know, having money to retire or a house to retire and not having to sell your house to pay for your health care. Yeah, it's a powerful, powerful point. So I think it's a great one to discuss around the dinner table or the Christmas table or the Thanksgiving table with your families. You know, is this, are these choices, choices that are long-term investments in your health and finances or are they short-term pleasure palate moments that have long-term severe, serious financial and health consequences? I hope you enjoy Dr. Shah as much as I did and I'll see you at the end of the episode. Hello, Dr. AJ Shah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I am really excited. I was really excited to connect with you and get to have this chance to chat with you. I often have guests on the show who are medical professionals and I love it when they have their own. I love hearing about their own journey to a whole food plant-based eating and how it transformed their lives. So I'm very excited. I think everyone listening will be excited to hear how you came across whole food plant-based living and how it has changed your life. Definitely. Definitely. I'm looking forward to it and I'm excited. Oh, great. So how about we start at the start before you were whole food plant-based? What did life look like for you? What was your diet like back then? Let me, let me start all the way back when I was very young, actually. You know, I, I, my paternal grandfather, my dad's father, matter of fact, had a stroke when he was 41 years old. And he, he survived. He lived about 15 years after that. So my image of my dad's dad was always in a bed with a stroke. My mom's father, so my maternal grandfather, unfortunately died at age 32 of a massive heart attack. So truly, I never had a you know, love and the friendship of any of my grandfather. So that was a thing I missed out in my childhood. And then I realized that a lot of this thing had happened because of poor, poor uh, lifestyle. So I was, from the beginning, I was always interested in how to live healthy, how to live long, how to you know, how to be with your grandkids. And so I, I, I think I followed it. Then I got off track 
And then last three years, I got back on it. Matter of fact, three years back, I realized that even as a cardiologist, I was pretty much, uh, you know, we call it mopping the floor. So there is a, there's a cartoon by Dr. Burkett, a famous cartoon where actually, where actually there is a leak from the faucet on the floor and somebody, mostly doctors, are mopping the floor while the faucet is still on. So I realized that after 25 years of practice as a cardiologist, I truly was mopping the floor. I wasn't turning the faucet off. And I think I myself wasn't following sometimes the lifestyle I should have followed. So three years back, I came across uh, Dr. Joe Furman, who was with you as your 100th episode. So I'm one of his biggest fans, biggest follower. He's like my guru in lifestyle medicine <laughs> and the whole food plant-based diet. He so was a good one got, for the 100th episode. Yes, definitely, definitely. So I got uh, his uh, famous book, It to Live, and I read it pretty much uh, in one weekend. Actually, I, I absolutely just glued, was glued to that book. And uh, I started gradual, you know, eating whole food plant-based. You know, I realized that it's not that uh, easy and simple. So I kind of did it in a stepwise way. Matter of fact, I lost about 45, 50 pounds. My energy improved. And just by eating whole food, plant-based diet, matter of fact, the whole uh, life changed. My sleep improved. My creativity improved. The way I was talking to the patients improved. Now, before I reach out to any medicine to give it to the patient, matter of fact, I talk about lifestyle. And I think, uh, to me, that's truly now turning the faucet off instead of keep mopping the floor. So I go to the basics of how to how to prevent and reverse the chronic diseases. So I personally have seen my own uh, benefits. I try to duplicate that in my patients. And I think uh, our world needs that approach because chronic diseases are not only, not only uh, a big uh, disability, but it's very expensive. And prevention, just like we say, an ounce of prevention is what pound of cure. Prevention is not only very you know, safe because there are no side effects, only good effects. And also it's very cheaper. So I think I've taken up this big, uh, big pledge. The next 20, 25 years, I'm going to be practicing medicine. I'm going to be a big proponent of lifestyle medicine. As a matter of fact, uh, last year I got board certified into lifestyle medicine, which is a new certification or new boards in America where only about 400 of us have been certified in lifestyle medicine. So I'm not only, uh, not only following my own journey, not only I'm reading about it, now I'm qualified, board certified lifestyle physician. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, I just want to go back a tiny bit because there's so much to this story. But firstly, how, how long ago did you make the switch to whole food plant-based Eating. Three years back. Three, three years. years back. So that's a massive transformation in three years. Massive transformation, yes. And what were you eating like before you made the switch? Before that, I was a, I was a, uh, I call it a dirty vegetarian because I was eating a lot of processed food, a lot of oily food, you know, a lot of grain, uh, milk, obviously, cheese, dairy products. So I think even though I never ate meat, I. I grew up, you know, because of the religious reason, a vegetarian, but I was actually a vegetarian who was probably as bad, if not worse, than people who even meet. And even there is actually a proof and data that the vegetarian and vegan who eat a lot of processed food, actually they do probably as bad as meat eaters. And if you think of it, you know, French fries is vegan, but it's probably as bad as eating red meat. So I think, uh, so I think to me, it has changed now. And where did you grow up? Like what part of the world did you grow up? I grew up in India. It's about 250 miles north of Bombay. The city's name is Ahmedabad, even though it's not that well known, but it, we have about 6 million people. So it's a huge city, 6 million people. 6 million yeah. people. Oh, my yeah, yeah, gosh. Yeah. It's funny because Australia has such, you know, what do we have, 23 million people or something. Yeah. And so the food of your childhood, was it so it, it was vegetarian, but it was, was there much processed food around? Actually, when I was growing up, our food wasn't that bad, actually, to be frank with you. I think my parents were very healthy eaters. 
we actually ate only once a month outside, only once a month. You know, 29 days we ate at home. Most of the time our meal included, you know, large grain, but, uh, you know, whole grain, a lot of vegetables, you know, some milk, some butter, but no meat, obviously. So my food as a childhood uh, eating wasn't that bad. I think my food actually, to be honest with you, got really, really worse after coming to America. Yes. And how old were you when you came to America? I came to America when I was 23 years old, very young. Yeah, By yourself or with your family? With my wife, just two of us. So that was about 34 years ago. I'm 57 now. Yeah, wow. I was talking to last week's guest, which hasn't come out yet, but about how when you're in that early stages of adulthood and you move from home cooked food to your own I can cook whatever I want and the, right, the food right. choices change pretty dramatically to be much more processed heavy junk foods than yeah yes exactly exactly and I think uh, because I was in my early training a lot of the food was eaten at the hospital cafeteria and unfortunately hospital food probably is not much different many times than the fast food which is a sad part Hospitals should the exam, set the example of, you know, providing a healthy food. But many hospitals, including the hospital where I work, you know, unfortunately had a, as bad of a food as a fast food. So I grew up uh, healthy eating. After coming to America, I fell into what we call SAD diet, S-A-D, the standard American diet. And then, you know, obviously my weight mushroomed up. I you know, from my college weight to my weight until three years ago was almost, uh, you know, between 40 and 50 pounds. And I think uh, because of my young age, I could handle it. But now I realize that as I get older, all that weight is going to have a major, major impact. You know, obesity in America, some states have obesity as high as uh, 42%. And obesity is BMI of 30 or above. Like if you go to Mississippi, West Virginia, in the U.S., there are about 42% obese people. And obesity brings in tons of chronic disease, including diabetes and hypertension, high blood pressure, heart disease, Alzheimer. So I think obesity is a major issue. And I'm being, frankly, a lot of doctors themselves are obese. So I think we are, we are just like, you know, we are humans. We sometimes can't even follow what is right for us ourselves. So I think it has to be a major, major change not just to advise the patients and people, but also how the doctors themselves take care of it. I think many, actually, if you look at the data, most male doctors in India live about 10 years less than an Indian male. So doctors don't make good patients, actually. Do you think it's also to do with the stress of, it's a big workload to carry people's, people's lives in your hands all the, day, all the time, plus the actual amount of time you're at work? I agree with you. I think... Uh, I think when I was growing up in my training, we were working about 95 to 100 hours a week, so more than twice. And many of them include a night call. So I agree with you, a lot of stress. But I think at the same time, I realize now that you cannot burn the candle on both hands. I think doctors, to me, a, 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 a live doctor is going to be always better than a dead doctor. So I think, uh, fortunately, now it's changing. There are some uh, rules and laws now that... Uh, Doctors in training cannot work more than certain hours. And a lot of the younger generation is now taking care of themselves better. You know, they're having more weekends off. So I think things are changing, but I agree with you. When I was uh, in training and when I, in my early years of practice, most doctors are working 60 or 70 hours a week. And that, see, I think the way I put it, there are 24 hours in a day. No matter how you cut it, everybody gets 24 hours. If I put five extra hours in my career, I'm going to compromise that with sleep, with exercise. So I think I agree with you. Many doctors missed out on their own uh, healthy lifestyle. But I think it's changing now. Doctors are realizing that uh, we cannot go on like this. You know, I think uh, plus I think uh, I think, frankly, there is a more and more research and science done on how to uh, prevent doctors burnout. So I think until now, doctors were just considered like they just have to keep providing the care. Now we are realizing that doctors themselves need a care. Yes. Did, and, and on that, when you were studying and get, being educated to become a doctor, how much time were, was, was given or allocated 
in your course content about lifestyle medicine and diet and sleep and exercise and those things? I think, to be honest with you, it was 0%. It wasn't even 10%. It was 0%. Only thing we learned about nutrition was in biochemistry, about carbohydrate, protein, and fat. But we never learned about the about the different type of food and vegetables and, uh, you know, what is, uh, how exactly what we eat. We did not learn much about sleep. We did not learn much about exercise. You know, I think back then it was very heavily weighted just on like uh, fixing a problem with medications, with procedures. So I think, I think this lifestyle uh, medicine is a new field. I mean, we've been doing lifestyle for thousands of years, but I think we went away from it you know, with the Western medicine. But over the last five to 10 years, with the, you know, the father of lifestyle medicine is Dean Ornish. And I think thanks to him and thanks to many people, I think you had Dr. Esselstyn on your podcast. I think Dr. Greger, all those uh, great giants, I call them, have now really changed how we think about medicine. I think we are thinking more of a, uh, more of a prevention, more of a long-term benefits, you know, preventing the death, preventing the, I call the health span. Because I think if you, if you, if you remember last two years, the average life expectancy in America has gone down. We lost actually two months each year. So we are living less now for last two years. And if this trend continues, we'll be living less than even our grandparents did. So that needs to change. And I think only way we can change is by changing the lifestyle. Wow. I did not know that. And with those figures, what do you think is playing the role in the life expectancy going down? I think uh, I feel like there is a dichotomy. There are about 10% of people who are taking really good advantage of uh, this advancement into medicine. They are exercising, they're eating healthy, they're sleeping, they're lowering the stress. And those 10% of people will reach out probably 110, 120 years old. They will do great. But unfortunately, 90% of people actually are going in a wrong direction. They are living less. The health span in America, last 10 years of everyone's life is actually miserable. They are on five or more medications. They already have multiple procedures like stents and bypass, knee replacement, hip replacement, back surgery, spine surgery. So everybody's health span definitely have gone down. You know, I think uh, to me, that's a, that's a really tragic thing because we are advancing in every field, information age, computers, going in the moon and Mars, but in our own health, actually, we are going backwards. It's really upsetting, and I think to witness your love, your loved ones living those ten years, sometimes twenty years, and I feel like it's starting earlier and earlier. This, you know, I'm turning forty next month. I keep mentioning it because it's I'm having a midlife crisis. <laughs> but, yes, yes. But I mean, people around me in my age are starting to talk about their ailments or their issues or their conditions or their wrinkles or their, you know, not that wrinkles is a problem, but I mean, people are really starting to talk about it at 40. And so then by the time 50 comes, they're already considering themselves old people, you know, and then 60, they're committed that they're sedent- their life is now sedentary. And yes. 70, it's done. Like 60, my parents yes. are in the late 60s and they're they're doing good in a lot of ways, but they're, you know, they're still in recliners having naps in the afternoon. And yes, that's a real yes, shame. Yes, yeah, I think that's a real shame because I think uh, it's in our reach to be happy, healthy at 100. We just don't take advantage of it. I think with the advancement into understanding of uh, good lifestyle, whole food, plant-based diet, exercise, sleep, we definitely can go up to 100 happy and healthy. And I think I think what you are doing, spreading this message, will, will change. We need a grassroots moment, and it's already happening. I think we already have, like, a, you know, an alternative to the meat burgers, which is a first step. We still have 10 steps to go to. But I think, to me, plant-based 
quote-unquote meat substitutes is a good start. It's still a processed food, so I don't recommend people to eat it, but at least it eliminates the animal suffering and cruelty environment-wise. I think the next step would be to whole food plant-based. So I, I personally believe that there are two kind of people, one who can jump in 100%, and there are some of us who can take stepwise approach. And yeah, and both both are fine. I think uh, I think it's a journey. It's not a, like you have to be there in one day. It's a journey. And I think journey takes time. Journey takes some coaching. Journey takes some efforts. Journey takes some encouragement. Journey brings some failures. But I think goal is to move on in a right direction every day. Yes. I guess that's something that I was going to ask next, which would be for your journey, were you someone who just was overnight, I've read Eat to Live and now I am making the switch? Or were you someone like myself who it took a little while to make tweaks in my lifestyle and and like and face your habits and your conditioned beliefs around the food that you eat? I think it's, for me, it was such a big these are the things I've used to comfort myself. These are the foods I associate with joy and happiness. These are the, you know, there was so much to unpack regarding my own relationship and many people's relationship with food. And I, I wish I was one of those people that could just overnight go bang. And I did overnight go plant vegan, but I just, I had a longer up and down with the amount of oil and the amounts of fats that I allowed in my diet at the start compared to now. But how was it for you, your transition? I think my transition was also gradual. Uh, it was it was rather quick, but it wasn't overnight. I think in a month or two, I was uh, really getting into whole food plant-based. My exercise part happened overnight. I think... Uh, that part I picked up very quickly. My sleep improved in a month. So I think in terms of the in terms of the six I call six pillars of good lifestyle, I think my diet took some time, but I think exercise, sleep, and I think I tell my patients that uh, you know in terms of the six pillars I call them. One of them is a whole food plant based diet or nutrition what you eat. One of them is exercise. One of them is sleep. One of them is stress management. One of them is substance abuse. And the last one is relationship. I think all six pillars are important and all six pillars will take time to, you know, get the best at it. But at the same time, you should start all six of them because to me, they're all interrelated. If you exercise, typically you eat better. If you sleep well, typically you eat healthier and you are in more mood to exercise. So when I call whole food plant-based diet, I essentially think that that movement should always include all six pillars because relationship is very important. If you have a, a, a supportive spouse or a partner who also want to do whole food plant-based diet, your journey will be much easier and much quicker. I always said that you know staying healthy is a is a is a team sport, I call it, because doing it alone, doing it alone sometimes not only gets boring and hard. But many times it fails. If you do it with somebody, it's always have a higher chance of succeeding. Yes, I love that. I was going to ask you, how did your wife go when you said you were going to go whole food plant-based? Was she supportive from the get-go or was, she, was there a little bit of, oh my gosh, but I love cheese? <laughs> no, actually, actually, she was, she was on board even uh, much more uh, quickly and uh, with a lot of more enthusiasm than even I was. I think my wife is a great cook and I think she can make about probably 500 different dishes from vegetables, you know, because we grew up vegetables. She grew up 100% vegetables. So we have a lot of options dealing with, you know, vegetables and fruits. So it was slightly easier for her to just get on board. And matter of fact, I don't think I would have done without her. I think if I was alone, I probably, and that's a, see, that's the part. Sometimes we have to be, you know, uh, aware that a lot of people, don't have the same support. And I think I, I tell my patients that I'm your support. I'll help you. I think uh, there are fortunately a lot of uh, healthy, whole food, plant-based options which you can go to grocery store and buy. It. You know, some of the simple recipes takes 15, 20 minutes to cook. So even if you are alone, if you are single, and uh, you still can be whole food, plant-based. It'll be slightly harder if you don't have the support and if you don't have the, you know, if you don't have the supportive spouse or a partner, but still it's doable. Yes. I have to say that almost without 
fail, every guest that's been on this show has said that their partner or spouse or whoever has been supportive and even if they haven't wanted to go on the whole food plant-based journey themselves, they have either slowly made the transition eventually or they've just always been very encouraging and supportive. And it makes such a difference. And every guest says that community or a team around you is the key for them in making this change. And I, if you're listening and you don't have a team, we'll be your team, won't we, Dr. Shah? We'll be your Definitely. team. Definitely. I think we, we all are in a team. And I think fortunately now I call them a long-distance team. We don't have to be in the same room. We don't have to be in the same house, not even the same city. Like you are in Australia and I'm in the U.S. I mean, we are a team. And I think uh, I think it's a, to me, it's a movement. It's just not a team of six people or 12 people. It's a team of millions and millions of people who are together with the same purpose. You know, and I think our purpose, our cause is very noble. We are not here to make trillions of dollars. We are here to make people's health better, the happiness better, make them live long, make them have a better relationship. You know, I mean, all those things are, to me, are basic necessity of every human being. You know, you can live without money, but you cannot live without health or relationship. So I think what you are trying to do is probably much more noble and much more needed even than many of the philanthropic work. Oh, thank you. I wanted to ask you about your patience. What have you found to be their biggest struggles with going whole food plant-based? I think a lot of the lot of the people and patients I see, many times they grew up eating meat. You know, that was a major thing in 50s, 60s and 70s when my patients were, you know, growing up. And many times a lot of these people and patients have a great memory attached to themselves. Like when I asked about a patient, they said, Dr. Shah, I have a great memory of uh, having a burger with my dad. And whenever I eat burger, I remember my dad. So they have some quote-unquote happy memory attached to it. And it's very difficult to take that item away which has a happy memory attached to it. So I think way I, the way I learned, as a matter of fact, somebody taught me that you have to you have to replace that good memory with another good or better memory. So now I tell them that if that's the case, take your son or you know grandson many times to a place where you can eat a healthy, whole food, plant-based meal and create a new happy memory where you will be able to live long enough to see your grandkids' graduation or grandkids' marriage. So I think many times, it's better to replace that memory with a whole food plant-based meal. Otherwise, if you just said that delete that burger, it's not going to happen. Deletion never works. We have to replace it. Always replace with a better memory of a whole food plant-based meal with your loved one. Yes, deletion never works, always replace. And I think that's definitely what I talk to about with people a lot. If I said to them, take away everything that they love, they always... It's just resistance. And I know myself, since someone says you can't have it, you want it so bad. But if you talk about adding in, you know, the chalk raisin cookies from the Engine 2 cookbook or, you know, adding in, trying out a lentil loaf that I know is delicious or trying out things that recipes that are whole food plant based that are the versions that they like. And some people don't like trying the versions of the old things that they like because they're always different. But for me, some things are great and you're really pleasantly surprised. Like whole food plant-based brownies or other cakes can be just as amazing um, if people like those types of food as a transition food. I think I agree with you. And I think many times, I think it's the it's understanding somebody explain you. Let me give you an example, which I give it to my patients all the time. Three years back, I used to love French fries, love French fries, you know. French fries has a three tastes, just three tastes, salt, fat or oil, and potatoes. So there are three tastes. If you eat, uh, you know, small order of French fries, three, four hundred calories. You know, I thought that was a great taste, great food. But then when I went whole food plant-based, I can have a 16-item salad for 200 calories. So just logically, just think of it. Logically, my tongue has a 16 great taste in 200 calories versus three tastes 
in 300 calories, which one my tongue would love, the 16 different tastes. So I think it's a understanding, it's thinking, somebody coaching, somebody explaining you. And I think if you see changing habit requires a lot of the factors, not just uh, jumping into it. And I think many times, you know, listening to the right authors and uh, great giants like, you know, like Joe Foreman. I think uh, when I understand, I think most of us are very logical people. When something makes sense, we are more apt to do it. So now it makes sense to me that I should eat salad. Not only it's good, it's healthy for me, but matter of fact, it's tastier for me because I have 16 items in my salad and I would have great time. So I agree with you many times. Whole food, plant-based food actually is tastier than the boating processed food. It's all marketing hype. I think when we see French fries from a you know a, a young thin blonde or a big muscular guy, we think that by eating French fries, we'll become like them. But that's not the case. If anything, those people who are in those ads, they never eat French fries except that on the day of shooting. So I think, but many people don't know that. Those people are much more disciplined. Those models and those uh, both male and female, they are much more disciplined than the people who eat that food. It's interesting you mentioned French fries because I've recently had this really strong call to to get a, like a McDonald's Happy Meal and to do yes. that, one of those videos and just talk about every single ingredient in the meal um, yes. and like film it and talk about it and how horrible it is for your body. But then I yes. just can't bring myself to give McDonald's any money or to walk in the store. So yes. I, I just hit this wall. But I just think people need to know what is in that, you know. And I think that there's people like Food Babe. I think she has done some work on what's in McDonald's burgers. Yeah, I just feel like people need to know that these Kentucky Fried Chicken and all these fast food things that they're craving, when they break it all down, they're barely even craving food. They're just craving chemicals and a concoction of chemicals that is designed to stimulate their taste buds momentarily and have them addicted and coming back for more. I agree with you. I think a lot of these food companies, they actually have a force of many PhDs into how the human behavior, human addiction work. And they have figured out that, you know, there are three things. I think one is uh, salt, one is sugar, and one is oil. And I think our human instincts are certain that we reach out for those foods. So I think many of these food companies, actually they design the food where people get not only addicted, but they stay addicted to that food. So I think I agree with you. I think we are we are actually facing one of the biggest battles of our life because on one side, we have billion-dollar companies with PhDs dealing and playing with our mind and our psyche and our behavior. And here we are very simple-minded people trying to resist that, you know, the, the big, um, big, big PhD uh, scientific uh, thing on our behavior. So many human beings will fail because they're not equipped to it. And that's where I think person like you, Dr. Furman, you know, Dr. Furman has written a book called Fast Food Genocide. And he actually thinks that eating this processed food at fast food and other food is not just any unhealthy. Actually, it's a genocide. I think it's one of the, and he he's right, it's one of the biggest way human beings have been submitted to eating, you know, to dying early. So I agree. It's a fast food, processed food. You know, it's hard to resist. But once you realize the benefits, you start to change. Yeah, I, I do think that education is is definitely key. It's not just one key, though. There's several keys to unlocking for many people, unlocking this puzzle around optimal health. And I haven't actually read that book, but you've put it back in my mind because I was meant to go buy it after I interviewed him, but I, but I haven't or borrow it from a library. And I think it's tackling a really, really strong issue. And I know myself, you know, everywhere you turn, in every shop and when you're raising young children as well, it is just, you're just bombarded constantly with these messages. And even the other day my child was asking me about, you know, getting some kind of chewing gum or something that he saw that he wanted to get from Santa Claus in his stocking and just having to try and un- have those discussions. And those discussions back when my parents were small, there was, you know, soda pop and the odd hard-boiled lolly, but there wasn't what there is now. They didn't have to have so many conversations with their children at every shopping centre, at every service station, petrol fill-up, you know. There's vending machines in places where 
you don't expect vending machines to be that your kids are asking about. It's yes. As school sausage fundraisers and cupcake drives, and you're always trying to say, "Oh gosh, <laughs> like how do I yes. not sound like I'm killing, I'm a killjoy?" When yes. every day I have to have these same conversations. Yes, I, I agree with you. I think like when I go to get a gas in my car at the gas station, even when I pay for the gas, I have a I have visuals of so much processed food right in front of me. If I, as an adult, gets tempted to imagine a child who doesn't have that much knowledge about nutrition, how much the child would be tempted to. And I think many times, child would just ask for those kind of food, and parents with the busy life and rush, they probably would say, okay, have it. But that's how the habit starts. And these companies know how to get these children hooked to it. You know, this Happy Meal has a toy in there. They have a McDonald, Ronald McDonald, who is a, a happy character. So kids are being hooked, just like what the, the tobacco companies went through, where they were getting these young kids hooked to cigarettes with Camel and other things. Same with these fast food uh, companies and some of the food companies are making these kids because a, a child who becomes a customer for next 60 or 70 years is a permanent customer. So I agree with you. I think uh, we need to stop that. We need to be a, a informed parent. We need to teach them. And I think, you know, many children, once you educate them, once you teach them, and once you set an example by doing it yourself, because most children follow what their parents do. I think if you start eating whole food plant-based not only kids will enjoy it, matter of fact, they will actually become a better than even yourself as an adult. So I think because this whole food plant-based movement is last 15, 20, 25 years. Imagine if you if you get your child to get whole food plant-based, they will be following it for 50, 60, 70 years. Such a great thing for planet, for animal cruelty, I think for health, for lifespan. So I agree with you. We need to start at a very young age. Matter of fact, to give you an example, which I always give it to my patients, my niece, my wife's uh, sister's uh, uh, daughter, they have twins and they are like four or five years old. To be honest with you, they eat healthier than you and I. I mean, our that my niece has just exposed them to eat only healthy, whole fruit, plant-based diet. And they're only like five years old and they do it every day, every day. So I think I agree with you. We need to start at a very young age. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And I, I've been trying to do a bit of a series on all, well, just not a series. I'm just, it was a series and now I'm just doing them ongoing, is interviewing parents who raise their kids by whole food, plant-based or vegan, just to get more stories out there, positive stories about raising whole food, plant-based kids or vegan kids into the mainstream because we, we have in Australia, you know, every time anything happens with a vegan child, it's, and it's normally the same two stories that get regurgitated over and over yes. and over again. Yes. You know, one parent had mental health, both, both parents obviously have mental health problems of both children and they starved their child and they were vegan, but there's many, 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 you know, after working in child protection, I know myself that there are many, many cases of omnivore families neglecting and, st and un malnourishing their children more so than vegan stories out there. But, you know, whatever gets the media attention. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you. I think uh, if you want to raise your child vegan, definitely requires some knowledge and some education because, for example, B12 or omega-3. So I agree with you. You cannot be a random vegan parent. If you want to be a vegan parent, you have to read about it. You have to follow through it. But uh, because uh, children's brain is a growing brain, I think you need a certain nutrients and other things. But to me, if somebody says it cannot be done, that's wrong. It can be done 100%. You just have to know how to do it. And I think person like you can educate them. You can bring the guests who are doing it. You know, I think you can bring the professionals who recommend that. I grew up vegetarian. Obviously, I had dairy products. I had milk and cheese and butter, but I never had meat. So I'm mostly 80, 90% uh, vegan, you know, just 10% from the milk and cheese. So 90% I was eating vegetables and I became a cardiologist. So if somebody says that your brain doesn't develop because you eat vegetables and fruits, that's a nonsense. I think, uh, I think you will grow up fine as long as you have a proper, you know, omega-3 and B12. I think you should be fine. Yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's tricky 
because even though I've been in this fear of researching and learning and educating myself about whole food, plant-based, vegan diets and children and all those things for many years now, I do, th- and, I, and I know that there are people from all socioeconomic backgrounds who have done it and can do it. But I do believe that it is trickier for people with less education and less access to resources and less ability to understand research and read it and process it. So that is a thing that I hope that in time, as this becomes more mainstream, that it will be more easily accessible and digestible to more of the general public. I, I think I agree with you. I think a lot of the information is already available on internet and YouTube videos. So I think that's a good thing we are going. But I agree with you. I think a lot of the parents don't have access to the internet, at least in the world. I think in Australia and the United States, a different story. But I agree with you. I think there are certain pockets in India where people don't have access to internet. So I agree with you. I think it will take time. But the movement already has started. I think people like you can just enhance it. And I think my my feeling is I'm 100% confident that in next 20, 15, 20, 25 years, the vegan movement, whole food plant-based movement will be a mainstream movement. I think people will be not only talking about it, but doing it. See, right now we are into talking phase. Some of us are into doing phase. But in 15, 20 years, I would say 20% of the population will be in a doing phase. Yeah, fingers crossed. I really, really hope that that's true. Uh so are your children whole food plant-based yet or are they just – that's tricky when they're grown-up children and you've made the changes when they haven't been at home. Yes, our daughter who is in medical school, she is whole food plant-based. She, she rarely eats uh, meat or milk, but, but she's not 100%. And I think uh, – and our son, our son is trying to be whole food plant-based. But to be frank with you, I think uh, like – if you look at the Okinawan people, if you look at the blue zone people, I call them, you know, blue zone, there are five blue zones in the world. Okinawa is one of them, Loma Linda, where Seventh-day Adventists are, uh, the people are there, and in Acadia, Greece, Nicoya Peninsula in, uh, in Costa Rica, and Sardinia, Italy. All those people who live up to 100, they have a very long lifespan, health span, they are not vegan. They, they, they have about 5% uh, animal products. Some of them have milk, some of them have meat, some of them other things. So I'm not going to be always a proponent of being 100% vegan. If you are 95%, that's a great start. I think to me, that's a perfect thing. Our daughter probably is 90, 95%. Our son probably is about 70, 80% uh, whole food plant-based. They can always go better. I'm probably, I would say I'm 95, 99% because if you go out for a dinner with friends and if they order a pizza, there's a cheese on the pizza. We don't become odd people. We eat cheese pizza probably six times a year. But because I think there's an aspect of being being uh, inclusive and being social. So you don't want to be a, a stuck up whole food plant-based vegan person. Be be a, be a, just a normal human being. At the same time, if somebody says that I'm 50% whole food plant-based, that's not enough. I would say 90 plus is must. Yes, yes. Look, I'm probably one of those people. <laughs> I'm 100%, but I did become an ethical vegan. And so I think that that changed it for me because I just I can't. I just feel a, I hit a wall when I think about eating those foods. But um, I do think if someone isn't is in it for their health, like my mum, and I was listening to an interview with Dax Shepherd on his podcast. I don't know if you listen to that, but Dax Shepherd has a podcast called Armchair Expert, and he has interviewing Jonathan. I want to say Safran Foer, F O E R, an author, and that he wrote a book about. Eating Animals. He wrote a book called Eating Animals. And that author, he was saying, you know, for climate change and for animal cruelty and all those things. But he was, it was really interesting listening to him talk because he was saying, like yourself, that for many, many, many people who, who aren't, you know, who haven't become vegan, who want to just make a change for the climate or a change for their health, when we say you have to be 100%, it's very difficult. Like you said before about Deletion never works when you ask someone to delete everything. And he was saying, you know, he's probably 80, 90% plant-based, but he eats meat sometimes. And he was saying to people, you know, to get 
many people are to eat less animals, just saying maybe reduce it to one meal a day. And that's still better, much, much better for the planet because most people are eating animal products three meals a day. And it was a real, I was, I was very much thinking that that would free from my parents and from many people a way that was easier because the guy, Dak Shepard, is not at all vegan and he was like, oh gosh, you know, I can't even think about it. But when that author said, what about just if you had meat just for dinner? You could see him go from being absolutely never going to try eating a plant-based diet to being like, I think I could just eat for dinner. And that's far greater than what he was doing when he was eating meat, you know, meat, dairy and eggs three meals a day. Having it one meal a day is still an improvement for the planet, for the animals and for his overall health and well-being. So, yeah, it made me definitely think, even though I find it hard from my own because I'm so such a softy about animal cruelty, I do think that it's still a big improvement for the planet and the animals if people reduce down to one meal a day. Yes, I agree with you completely. For example, in New York, in U.S., we have now in the schools, we have meatless Mondays. So I think I agree with you. I think it's a slow transition. You can start with one meal a day, then add second, then third. I think if you start one meal and if you see the benefits, for example, fiber, you know, all animal products are zero fiber. And fiber is such an important ingredient in our food. People who eat adequate fiber, they have less colon cancer, less constipation, less diabetes, less prediabetes. So once people see the benefits, that if they have one plant-based whole food uh, meal, the constipation will improve. You know, overall, they will feel better. They'll be less moodier. And they will say, oh, one does this much. Why not I have two? And why not I have three? So I think, uh, I think, I think to me, as you get the as you get the experience, as you get the as you get the convenient part, uh, I think people will eventually will transition to whole food plant based because not only it's better for the better for the animal cruelty and environment, it's so much better for you. And I think many of the benefits are very instant. You will see the benefits of whole food plant based within two to four weeks. You know, there is nothing in medicine which can make you feel better that quickly. So I agree, whole food plant-based, ask them to do one meal a day of like that, or maybe one day a week, whatever is convenient, you know, and then they will switch. I think they will switch for sure. And they said that, you know, Paul McCartney said that if there were glass windows on a slaughterhouse, nobody will eat meat. So I think animal cruelty is a major issue. And even if it means if you drink milk or have milk-based products, there's so much cruelty just getting the milk and cheese you know, on the animal. So I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, I think if you, if you, not only for your health, but for the planet, for, I mean, they said that uh, to, to produce one pound of red meat versus one pound of plant-based protein, you almost need like five to 10 times more land, more water. So I agree, it's just not sustainable for our planets with this growing billions of people. We need to go plant-based. Yes. I uh, went to a, a lecture recently on Drawdown. There's a book called Drawdown. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was really fascinating. And they were just talking about, they just call it a plant-rich diet where it's just predominantly plants. And, you know, I do think that is a way a way of t- phrasing it that reaches and connects more people than saying vegan. I think vegan is, uh, unfortunately, even though I'm proud of my veganism, but I think it's a term that many people get pushback from where plant rich, I think, is a really great way of delivering the message in a way that draws people in with curiosity and how could they add more plants in, like you say, you know, adding things in rather than vegan. I think they feel like they're just taking everything away and joining some weird fringe cult. (laughs) Yes, I think I agree with you. I think uh, I think I like I like the term you use actually, but I think like when people say vegan, they almost think that they are like a vegan. I mean, they almost start to feel like it's a cult and it's a some kind of a small uh, you know group of people who sit in their uh, kitchen and talk all day about that. I think I agree with you. I think uh, if you want to be more inclusive and if you want to create this a uh, larger sustainable movement, because we are facing this uh, this food companies who have 
billions of dollars in the marketing. I think if you want to make this movement, we have to be smart. We cannot just be very dogmatic and say that let's make everybody 100% vegan. I think we have to go with a lot of diplomacy, a lot of planning, a lot of uh, proper marketing, proper thinking, proper education. And I think that will require an intelligence approach instead of some random 100% you know, very forceful vegan approach. So what you're doing is right. I think education, you know, slowly, gently modifying the behavior, all those things have better chance of succeeding than becoming a, a forceful 100% vegan people. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's such an interesting, interesting time and an interesting subject because there's just, you know, there's so many different ways and mo- modes of thinking about this subject that I find it ever fascinating listening to the guests like yourself on the show and thinking about the best ways to well to help the maximum amount of people and that's what I'm always thinking about the more people that this message reaches the more animals are saved the more the planet is spared and the more healthy people get and the the less families have to suffer watching their loved ones die slowly with chronic disease. So, yeah, it's very fascinating to to really ponder what works and what doesn't work as far as attracting and repelling people from a whole food plant-based diet. Yes, I think I agree. I think, uh, I think when we talk about whole food plant-based, I think we have to know that uh, I think uh, that food, initially maybe slightly more expensive. Actually, the salads at McDonald's cost more than the burgers. So I think in the beginning, you may feel like you are investing a little bit more into whole food plant base. But if you look at it, when you super super size the French fries from like going from one dollar to dollar and a half to make the double, matter of fact, eventually you end up paying eight dollars for your health care. So you may be saving 50 cents in supersizing the French fries, but after 15, 20, 30 years, you be end up spending the same dollar, eight dollars in healthcare costs. So I think if you educate them that you may have slight more cost going whole food plant-based in the beginning, but on the long run, you will save money. You will because for a lot of people, let's put this for a lot of people, it's dollar and cents. I think uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of like you said, a lot of the uh, poor and middle class people and a lot of the less educated people, for them, quick meal, fast meal, cheap meal is only option. And I think many times we have to educate them that right now is fast and cheap, but actually in the long run, it's going to break your bank. Because once you get sick, like right now, if you go for a cardiac or heart stance, it's $25,000. You can buy a lot of spinach from $25,000. So I think... uh, so I think we have to educate them that be a long-term, like Warren Buffett says, be a long-term investor. Same way in your health, be a long-term player, not some short-term player. I think that is a brilliant way of framing it, that you know, long-term, be a long-term investor rather than a short-term player because $25,000 is a lot. And for families, you know, often you're getting those stints when you're just about to or you've just reached retirement and you want that money to travel or to finally do the things that you want to do with your life. And a bill like that, $25,000, is a very, very, very rude shock to people who are thinking that they're going to get this part of their life back after working diligently for a 60, you know, 60 years or so. It's a definite motivating force, I think, to be reminded of the costs long term. And I think many people don't think about what their physical health is going to be like when they get when they reach retirement. They're just looking forward to that day. They don't have to work anymore. But often they get to that 65 and their bodies are broken from their dietary and lifestyle choices. They don't get to enjoy that time anyway. I agree with you. I think the largest reason for personal bankruptcy in America is a health care cost. So I think it's no longer just a no longer just a kind of a thinking. It's a reality. A lot of people will lose their retirement, and a lot of people will actually need to sell their house because of the healthcare costs. I mean, I'm talking about stents, twenty five thousand dollars. If you go for a bypass surgery, it's a sixty thousand dollars. Sixty thousand dollars. 
You know, you will you will probably need to give up your house. Sixty thousand dollar, you can have so many good vacations. You can pay for your grandkids' education. So I agree with you. I think this is a long-term strategy, long-term planning, and I think we need to educate people that you know you will have. Plus, besides saving money, you see the way I put it is that see, dying is easy. If you are dead, you are gone. You don't have to worry about it. But imagine, like what happened to my grandfather, my my dad's father. He had a stroke when he was 41, 42 years old, and he survived 10, 15 years after that. So he had to be bedridden. He suffered. He had a disability. My grandmother had to take care of him. My father and his brother always saw him kind of in a poor condition. So it wasn't just a saving money. It was a lot of misery, too. Say, I think uh, people don't realize that uh, it's just not dollar and cents. It's a lot of misery, too. And why would you suffer, you know, that kind of life, last 10 years of life? Your last 10 years of your life should be a fun, productive, going to your grandkids' graduation, grandkids' uh, you know, marriage. Recently, our son got married last year, and I gave a little speech at his wedding. And I told, I said that I want to see not only your grandkids' graduation, I want to see your grandkids' wedding. I want to be there. You know, that's 30, 40 years, and I want to be there. And I think, uh, I think... I'm more confident today than three years ago because whole food plant-based, and I call the whole six pillars of lifestyle, has given me a major, major reason that I will be around for, for my grandkids' marriage. Absolutely. I'm the same. I have this 120, 120, 120 is how long I want to live for, and I feel more and more optimistic about it every day, actually, that I will be. But I don't mind. I don't mind if I... I think if I'm finished, I'm finished, and that's fine. But I just want to be healthy until the end. I mean, they said that you don't want to be cause of your own death. You know, I think, I think if you die in a car accident or something like that, it's fine. It wasn't your fault. But you don't want to be cause of your own death. And I think when you put that French fries in your mouth, you are becoming a cause of your own death, and that should be yes, avoided. Absolutely. So, Dr. Shah. Two last things. One is where can people, do you have any social media or are you, can people follow you anywhere? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because I'm on Facebook. I'm very active on Facebook because this is easier platform for me. I'm not on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. And I post on my Facebook twice a week, two to three minute long videos, which are very informative, very simple, very direct. And I think if people send me a friend request on my Facebook, I'll definitely say yes to it. They will be able to go back on all my videos I have posted. I also post various uh, other health information on my Facebook. So Facebook is the easiest way to follow me. I'm hoping to start some other plan. Uh, like I'm hoping to give a seminar in January, which will be a long five-hour seminar uh, half an hour on different topics. And I'm hoping to post those videos, half an hour videos on Facebook. I think uh, I think one day, one day I will be like you and I'll be on podcast. But, you know, maybe you can teach me. I'll happily teach you. Stay in touch and I'll happily teach you when you're ready. But I will post the links to your Facebook and YouTube on the show notes so everyone can find them. Just click on the whatever you found this podcast and it will take you to the show notes and you'll be able to find the links to follow Dr. AJ Shah on Facebook and YouTube. And my last question to you is what are your three biggest tips for people wanting to take on a whole food plant-based lifestyle? The first tip is start slow, make one meal a day. Number two, read more about it, watch on YouTube, listen to podcasts, because knowledge is power. More you know, more apt that you will succeed in whole food plant-based diet. And number three, which in my opinion is the most important one, and for me, I already know that, have a purpose. Why you want to do this whole food plant-based diet? Because if you have a reason, for example, if you want to live long, if you want to uh, have your grandkids' graduation, if you want to travel somewhere, have a purpose behind changing your eating habits. So have a purpose. People who have purpose, not only they'll live long, they're healthier. So again, start slow, read more about it, listen more about it, and have a reason or have a purpose why you want to change. Thank you so much. They are great. So if you weren't were distracted for a moment, they were, Dr. Shah's three biggest tips were, one, start slow, two, read more, educate yourself, 
And three, have a purpose. What is your why? What is your reason for wanting to make a goal of a whole food plant-based lifestyle? Is that correct? Yes, definitely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shah, for coming on the show. Yep. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Shah, for coming on the show. I absolutely loved getting the chance to sit down with you and hear your story. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow Dr. Shah on Facebook and YouTube at Dr. AJ Shah, double A-J-A-Y-S-H-A-H. And he's on Facebook and YouTube. The link to him is in the show notes. So just click on the wherever you're listening to this on your pod on your phone or your t- tablet or your laptop or your computer, just click on the link that this podcast is in and it will take you through to the show notes and you can find Dr. Shah there. Also more information about him there and including the three biggest tips if you miss them, but you want to have a recap of what he listed as his three biggest tips for those wanting to switch to a whole food plant-based diet. Thank you again and I will see you all next week. Bye. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier